Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. I am Lilac Boots. Happy holidays, everyone. Um, I hope everyone is so far is having a nice holiday season. Um, for my special co-host today, um, I have Tito again. Say hi, Tito. Hey, we back, baby. What up, y'all? <laughs> um, and uh, as we're getting close to Christmas, I kind of just wanted to spread some good cheer with some good news first before I get into uh, today's main little topic. So, um, first off, um, I kind of want to give a shout out to um, Fort Worth, Texas, because they're doing this really cool thing where um, their public library is going to begin to offer card holders an exciting new selection of almost 1,500 popular video game titles. Uh, actually, starting yesterday, um, just in time for the holiday break, um, the game collection will feature titles from the three most common platforms, Xbox One, PlayStation 4, and the Nintendo Switch. Uh, Quote, we are excited to offer video games as a resource for the Fort Worth residents and are hopeful that it will encourage new faces and friends to experience their local library, said Fort Worth Public Library Director Manya Shore. The selection, available at each of the library's 17 locations, will include popular titles such as Call of Duty and Street Fighter and will be rated from E everyone through M for mature. Titles will be placed in various locations throughout a library depending on their rating. For example, titles rated E 10 plus or everyone 10 and up will be in the children's collection. Think Sonic type games. Uh, T for teen rated titles will be in the teen collection and M for mature will be in the adult collection. Why offer video games at the library? The library's mission is to provide a variety of materials, not just books, in a variety of formats. The Fort Worth Public Library continues to expand its reach to new audiences and find different ways of providing patrons access to knowledge and experiences, including through board games, steam kits, and movies. Checking a game out will be no different than checking out a book. Patrons can simply find the title they like, take it to the checkout desk to be scanned and get ready to game. Patrons can also search the online catalog to find specific titles. So yeah, I thought that was really cool that that library is offering um, to lend video games now. Um, I remember when I was younger, um, the local libraries where I lived had computer games, but it was only just computer games. I don't recall being able to rent any console games at all. No, that's, that's awesome. I think I'm really glad and almost a little jealous about <laughs> um, how much more accessible video games are now. Because, like, imagine being able to buy a console like an xbox and you literally don't have to buy a game oh yeah that's true you don't have to buy a like, game now like, imagine if we had that as kids like your parents could literally just be like you know we can buy you this console and just pay 15 bucks a month and you get access to basically as many games as you want yeah that's yeah they really do have an advantage these days. Because before, you had to buy the console and then, like, the game and maybe two or three games if your parents were that nice. I remember there was this joke um, Cat William ha has about um, how his son wanted an Xbox. And he was just like how... Um, he was like, you know, my son makes pimp decisions. And he was like, now I can get you this Xbox... 
and I can also get you a game. But he was like, you're going to go through that, <laughs> and you're going to finish that game tonight. <laughs> and I just thought that was so funny because it was just so accurate. And basically, he was saying, instead of doing that, having an Xbox with one game, I can get you a Nintendo 64 with, like, 20 games for a lot cheaper. So, he was like, his son was just like, 20 games? And then he was like, yep, that's my son, making pimp decisions. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's, you know, people don't really think about it because it might have been before a lot of people's time, but, like, mm-hmm. you used to pay 70 $80 for a fucking NES game. You said an NES game? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's definitely yeah. before me. But the first console I had was a PS1. Yeah, like the... And then the thing about those games is they made those games exceedingly difficult for replay value because the games were short, but they made them hard so you had to spend a lot of time mastering. Ah, that makes sense. I mean, yeah, they're gonna try to make as good a profit as they can off of it. Yeah, because I mean, when you were a kid, you were probably gonna get one to two, maybe three games if you were lucky. But the problem with being a kid is you're not looking at reviews. There was no internet. <laughs> YouTube, you were like, all right, this cover art looks good. Let's get this one. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, there was internet, but the YouTube didn't exist exist just yet. And, you know, if you weren't, I mean, when I was that young, when I was on the internet, I was not looking up video game reviews. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's, that's, I'm just glad for, um, uh, shout out to Fort Worth, Texas. Um, so next, uh, Speaking of old school, uh, back in the day games, um, Gex, one of the many forgotten video game mascots of the 90s, could potentially be making a comeback. Uh, following on from Square Enix announcing uh, a couple of years ago that it would allow developers to create games based on older Edos's IP as part of the Square Enix collective project, the company has now filed a trademark for Gex in Europe. Um, while this might not necessarily mean anything, the fact that it's gone to this much effort for Gex has some fans of the anthropomorphic gecko convinced something is going to happen in the near future. Um, the Gex games were originally developed by Crystal Dynamics, the team known in more recent times for its work on Marvel's Avengers. If you were a Nintendo gamer back in the 90s, you should at least have some memories running about as Gex on the N64 or Game Boy Color. Yeah, we bring we bring him back um platform mascot. <laughs> I had I didn't have the full game of Gex. I had the demo um on the PS one and I didn't understand it at all. I actually wanna Google that game to see if I can get like the um the uh what do you call it? The um the emulator and see if I can play it just to see what it was about. I was so confused. I just remember he was watching TV and then he got called for like a mission, and then I was like jumping over stuff, and that's all I remember. Hey man, those PS One demos used to come in clutch when you was broke. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a hundred percent true. Shout outs to um, Strider and Strider Two being labels wrong on the box. <laughs> I mean, they were they were both 
pretty okay, so can't really complain. Like, like Strata 2 was labeled as Strata 1, and Strata 1 was labeled as Strata 2. That's hilarious. That's um, what we do, video game fun facts. <laughs> um, next, so uh, two students at uh, Dakota State University got two different games onto a gaming platform. Um, so two different teams of uh, Dakota State University students got their video games published through the online gaming platform Steam. Uh, creating the programs gives the students a chance to show off everything they have learned and work together as a team. For Gabriel Samal and Alexander Maxi, getting their team's games published is a big accomplishment. Quote, it's the most amazing thing to open a store page and see your game there. You're like, wow, it's there. You see that you actually put out something, said Gabriel, senior computer science and game design student. Each team consists of nine people who have been working on the game for more than a year. Uh, quote, when they start off, the game is rough, pro probably ugly, unplayable, and after going through multiple alterations, they are able to create something that they will be proud of sharing with other people, and that's really the end goal of it all, said Peter Britton, assistant professor of game design. There are many different roles that go into designing a game, including 3D modeling, programming, storytelling, and sound design. Quote, that's one of the more satisfying things about designing a game is that we can bring so many disciplines together to make a really awesome product, end quote said Alexander Maxey, senior computer science and game design student. This helps prepare students for their future careers. Quote, it's just a lot of experience that you gain, you know, you make a lot of mistakes that then when you go into your next project, you can learn from and make your next project better. It's really important to at least have something to show on your portfolio. It's one of the most important things. So if you want to have someone just consider you and talk or like, okay, let's see what you have. And you have a game to show that's really nice, sets them out. You can find both the Me Scoozy and 3 O'Clock Horror Games available to download and play for free on Steam. Um, so I looked up both of those games. And um, I'm actually really interested in Miscoozy. Miscoozy looks like... Miscoozy looks like Gang Beast, but like an adventure version of Gang Beast. Like Gang Beast, you just fighting each other, but it's like the adventure platformer bizarre version of that. Um, and Three O'Clock Horror looks like a um, sort of like a text adventure horror game, but it still looks the way the art in that game looks a lot better. So they both look um, pretty interesting, and they're both free if anybody's interested. <clears throat> Shout outs to developing games becoming more and more accessible. We out here. <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, all right. Next is. So I don't know if anyone's been keeping up with the issue with uh, Cyberpunk 2077 and how they had a shitty launch day. Uh. But uh, CD Projekt has settled its cyberpunk launch lawsuit with their investors. So um, a new sta statement released today states that negotiations were concluded on Wednesday and we'll see CD Projekt paying out just $1.85 million to the plaintiffs. According to the term sheet, members of the class, including the plaintiffs, shall relinquish any and all claims against the company and members of its management board, the statement reads. In return, a settlement in the amount of 
well, excuse me, $1,850,000 U.S. dollars shall be paid out to the class by the company and its insurer. As expressly stated, <clears throat> excuse me, in the term sheet, execution of the term sheet does not imply admission of any responsibility on the part of the company or any of the other defendants named in this case. For comparison, CD Projekt made over $563 million in game sales during Cyberpunk's release month alone and spent just $2.2 million on its Help Me Refund campaign designed to provide refunds to players who were unable to claim one from the original vendor. Following three delays, the highly anticipated Cyberpunk 2077 released in December 2020 with a host of technical problems resulting in refunds being offered, the title being pulled from the PlayStation Store, and CD Projekt shares tumbling. Following the botched launch, a number of CD Projekt shareholders in the U.S. filed class action lawsuits accusing the company of violating federal laws by misleading investors over the quality of Cyberpunk 2077, causing them to incur damages. In May, CD Projekt confirmed that four class action lawsuits filed in the U.S. had been consolidated and that a lead plaintiff had been appointed ahead of potential common court proceedings. These are the proceedings that have now been suspended as a result of the settlement. At the time, business analyst Mike Futter analyzed the financial report and noted that CD Projekt identified around $51 million as provisions for returns and expected adjustments of licensing reports related to sales of Cyberpunk 2077 in its release window in quarter 4, 2020. Futter suggested that this referred to total refunds from all sources as well as estimated refunds in 2021 that weren't completed in time for the 2020 report. Quote, this language is confusing as hell and likely intentionally so, Futter tweeted. In June, CD Projekt said it believed Cyber 20, excuse me, Cyberpunk 2077's performance had reached a satisfying level following six months of patches designed to improve the game. The company recently delayed the PS5 and Xbox Series X-S versions of Cyberpunk 2077 from this year to the first quarter of 2022. When they're released, they will be available as a free next-gen upgrade for players who own the current-gen editions. I still haven't played that game. Have you? No. I was uh, I was good on that game when I heard some of the stuff the creator said. Mm. I mean, was it... You mean, like, before, they, before the launch? Like, before yeah. it even... Yeah. Oh, okay. What was it about it that you didn't want to play? It was just... You know, just the, the the transphobia in the game. Uh-oh. Uh, and, and the thing is, like, the thing about CD Projekt Red is that even before this game came out, there were articles about how bad the development of The Witcher was. But the only reason that nobody talks about that is because everybody thinks that game is great. But now we're talking about how bad that develop the development of cyberpunk was mm-hmm. because the game's bad. Hmm. Like CD Project Red has gotten away with a lot because their games up to this point have been pretty good. But they're just, you know, as corrupt, conniving, and heartless as any other, you know, corporation. That makes sense. But I didn't hear, like, literally the only thing I heard was just, um, what happened, like, launch day. I didn't hear 
anything about the game itself that was bad. Just, you know, besides the bugs and everything, but not, like, content or plot or anything like that. It was literally just that they screwed up launch day. Yeah, and, and the thing is, because they screwed up that launch, just a bunch more stuff started to come out, like how um, a lot of people really did not enjoy working on The Witcher. Like, they said oh. working on The Witcher like a nightmare. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, but again, it because the games are good, people don't don't really... And the thing is, that's been another issue with games now, too, is that people are starting to see the toxic and draining work culture that games revolve around. Like, these people get... They get no life and no rest. That's true. It's very true. I've heard that from mul- multiple companies, not just CG Projects. Yeah. yeah, CG yeah, Projects, right? It's, it's, it's just rampant in in gaming. And also what happens now is people, people trot out their marginalized and minority people in the workplace as mascots but they still treat them like shit in the workplace like uh shout out to Ubisoft <laughs> and Riot Games <laughs> like Ubisoft if, if you've ever played an Ubisoft game mm-hmm. all, always at the beginning of the game they're like we have a whole bunch of marginalized people that work on our game and we love them that's very true. I'm a big Watch Dogs fan, so that's how I know. <laughs> um, yeah, they, yeah, so I'm not surprised about the, um, well, actually, well, what I was surprised was when that CD Projekt Red even got sued in the first place, because if anything, a lot of these companies should get sued if that's going to be the case. Um, and, um, excuse me, um, the, the, yeah, just the fact that they even settled, because that was bad. Like, it was just everywhere. It was just how bad the game was. And the fact that they pulled it out of the store because it was so bad, that was a thing. That was really I a mean, thing. Maybe it's just me, but a million dollars don't seem like a lot of money for a suit like that. Well, it depends on how many people sued them, too. Because yeah. it's like, I mean... The most that you really should get for a screwed up game is just what you paid for the game. But if you're talking about investors, it depends on how much they invested in the company thinking that the game was going to be that great and then come to find out it's crap. I was going to say because this is shareholders, I figured it'd be more than that. Um. Well, isn't CD Projekt Red a... That's not an American company, right? Aren't they like Swedish or something? I don't remember. But, yeah, I believe so, yeah. Yeah, so maybe that's a lot in Swedish dollars. <laughs> I don't know. Because, <laughs> I, I mean, the, the person who, I think the person who wrote The Witcher, that's where they're from. Oh, no, The the Witcher, um, the guy who wrote The Witcher and the whole thing is Polish. Um, I bet, I bet he's pissed. He sold, he sold the rights to The Witcher for 50 grand. I mean... Well, yeah, especially now since the show is on, I still haven't, I still haven't started the second season. So, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, he's definitely pissed. Unless it's not about the money for him, he already made all the money he could off of it because that book was out way before the game was even made. Well, yeah, there was a there, there's a bunch of books out, and then there was also um, 
I think there was already um, a live action Witcher show, but it was uh, Polish, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, so he probably, he's probably good. So I don't think he got anything to worry about. Um, hmm. All right, so I'm trying not to be negative. You know, happy holidays and all that. Christmas is next week, you know. All of that, but I had to bring something up because I just read some BS yesterday and I was just like, yeah, this is, I have to talk about this. So I just want full disclosure that I recently, and I mean very recently, have given up on any political party in this country, okay? And I refuse to participate in the bullshit, Republican or Democrat or Independent, I don't care anymore, okay? With that being said, I only decided to bring up this particular op-ed piece because it relates to video games, which is what this podcast is about. So, um, an op-ed piece recently expressed that they didn't understand the backlash that Senator Hawley of Missouri received because of his recent comments on video games. Um, it then goes on to explain what the top 10 selling games of September 2021 are, the average amount of time it takes to beat a game, and what he saw from his experience working at the U.S. Capitol, including gaming during work hours. Um, he then says the age group with the highest average of video game playtime is, uh, between 26 and 45 years old, um, who also play an average of nine hours per week. Apparently, and this includes myself in this group, we are supposed to be the most productive, well, in the most productive period of our lives. According to this op-ed, another allegedly harmful aspect to gaming is the average financial cost. Considering the top 10 games he mentioned, it's about $50 to $60 per game. He compares this to the cost of going to see a movie with an average time of two hours. He concludes with all of these numbers adding up to emotional depression. He says many gamers have a condition called, excuse me, alexithmia? Um, which is the inability to determine one's inner emotional state and that men are especially susceptible to this. Essentially, this condition develops after one suppresses their emotions too much for too long, allegedly happening during gameplay. This can apparently lead someone feeling disconnected from themselves, the ultimate fulfillment of escapism. And then the alexithmia leads back to uncontrollable mood swings, a destructive loop, if you will. Now, I'm going to take this step back and say my counter-argument for everything he literally just wrote. First of all, the backlash the senator received was quite understandable because the speech he gave was about combating toxic masculinity. He said, and I quote, Can we be surprised that after years of being told that they are the problem, that their manhood is the problem, more and more men are withdrawing into the enclave of idleness and pornography and video games? Someone asking you to be a decent human being is not attacking your manhood, so let's grow the hell up, okay? Just be fucking nice. Period. And also, what he said was contradictory because the whole entire video game industry is a boys club. So by that logic, your alleged manhood is being attacked by other men. Next, let's look at the top 10 selling games he brings up. Madden 2020, excuse me, Madden 22, FIFA 22, NBA 22, Tales of Ares, Diablo 2, Deathloop, Call of Duty Cold War, Ghost of Tsushima, Spider-Man, Miles Morales, and Life is Strange, True Colors. Let's see. One, two, three, four, five. At least half of this list you can play in multiplayer. So what withdrawal is... Excuse me. So what withdrawal is not the senator, but also the author of this op-ed piece fucking talking about? Next. 
Average amount of playtime. If you're one of those kids who was fortunate enough to get any game at any time, when you weren't pay one, you weren't paying for it, so that falls into whomever the adult in the house was. And two, if it was such a problem, turn the shit off. Period. You're the adult. If gaming is so bad for kids, and I have given multiple examples on this podcast about how gaming is literally saving some people's lives, then turn it off. Period. Don't buy the don't buy them the damn games. Next, he wants to try comparing a video game which has multiple replay value to a damn movie. I don't give a shit if you're the biggest fan of the movie. You went out and got the Blu-ray, digital, 4K with deleted scenes, director commentary, and everything else. It's still going to be the same fucking movie over and over again. Depending on the video game, that is entirely different. Yes, at its core, if you're playing the main storyline or campaign of the game, it will be the same. However, there are multiple objectives in today's video games to get your money's worth. We are not in the era of Donkey Kong or Mario and can really sit here and say we're playing the exact same game again and again. Next, his little buddies that he saw doing well, playing video games during work hours are disrespectful and need help because anyone who was really there to work wouldn't have been doing all that. They should have been fired and replaced. Next, the age group he mentioned, 26 to 45 years old. Of course, they have the highest amount of playtime. We're not little kids that you can tell to turn off the damn game and can play for as long as we'd like. I pride myself on getting my work done before I clock off for the day, so if we're talking about something as simple as time management, then maybe you should work on that. Next, average price for a video game. So, I don't know if he's been keeping his ear to the ground, but there are multiple deals out there where you do not have to play, uh, excuse me, pay full price for a video game. We literally just talked about this. In fact, the last time I remember paying full price for a video game at launch was for Watch Dogs 3, and that was because I'm a fan of that series in particular. That game released in October 2019, so two whole years ago. Concerning what's been going on in the gaming industry with companies forcing developers to work backbreaking hours for game releases, more and more gamers are hesitant to pay full price because of bugs and other glitches we see at release. The game I just mentioned, Watch Dogs 3, had the same exact, excuse me, had the same exact um, problem on its release day as well. Furthermore, Microsoft has given Xbox and PC gamers PC Games Pass, which is basically like Netflix for video games. Sorry, is excuse me, Sony is almost on the way with their own version. You can play as many games in the library you want for about $16.99 per month, which is which is extremely cheaper than buying every new game on its release date. On top of that, Microsoft has even allowed brand new games to be available on PC Game Pass at release. I'm actually playing Forza 5 right now, and that only came out a month ago. Did I pay $60 for it? Absolutely not. It was included with Game Pass. Now, the biggest thing I'm worried about with this op-ed piece and the Senator's comments is how it leads to depression. As someone who's afflicted with the same issue, I can tell you right now how good it feels to sign on and to play with your friends and or stream to your audience. Why? Because you're enjoying the game together. Video games are no longer being played by your average loner in a basement where have been brought to the living rooms of many households as community-driven entertainment. There are quite a few games out now that have disregarded the usual campaign levels and are explicitly multiplayer. Great example is that Battlefield 2042 is freaking available for free this weekend. Go out and play it if you want, okay? So, no, sirs, I do not accept your statements regarding video games as they have made many people's lives better. As for my opinions on those afflictions, I suggest therapy. Get a grip. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't think I have anything to add to that. Yes, thank you. Okay, <laughs> because I mean, it was just so like, like, did you even bother doing your research? Like, Google something sometimes. Okay, now that was the main story for this uh, episode. Um, 
I just can't begin to tell you how much, how many times I've, I've, I've seen things like that where people try to politicize, you know, something that's strictly for entertainment. I mean, it's really just as simple as turn it off. If you're that concerned about your children looking at certain things, just turn it off. Just turn it off. You're the adult. Turn it off. I mean, I don't know, like uh, the whole idea that that video games cause violence and not that violent people cause violence. Yes. Um, Same argument. I I will say, you know, I just feel like coming after video games is very low hanging fruit at this point. Exactly. And it's like the people who do it, it's like they have nothing. They have nothing else left. It's kind of uh, like when you have these politicians who used to uh, go after a Grand Theft Auto game every time it came out. And all you did was get that game free publicity. Exactly. Also, if if your child is, is that is that much influenced by a video game? Maybe, I mean, it's, I'm sorry, but it's, maybe it's just your child. You ever think about that? Like, nobody else is going out and acting crazy because of a video game. Like, nobody's doing that. So, that's all I have to say about that. So, yeah, uh, Grand, Grand Theft Auto ain't never had me go in a car and run people over. Exactly. None of that. It's a video game. It's fake. It's not real. Strictly for entertainment, okay? You can say the same same argument that they've been having about TV and movies since, I don't know, the freaking 70s. So, yes. So, that's all I had to say about that. And uh, we'll be right back. I have um, some, let me see. I have, oh, I have a list of holiday, uh, holiday uh, gaming suggestions for those who uh, want to grab a last-minute video game for their child. Um... And some more surprising good news. So we'll be right back. Hey guys, just want to give a quick shout out to Kitty Cat. She sells candles and wax melts. Uh, they are made of 100% all natural soy wax. It is a black woman owned and operated business. You can buy her candles at terran-made.com. That's T-E-R-R-A-N-M-A-D-E.com. Also, if you love rap music as much as I do, please listen to the album 168 by Ziggy. It is available now on Bandcamp. I listened to the whole album and I really appreciate it Tuesday and Wednesday. Those are two tracks on the album. So please go get that while you can. We'll be right back. And we're back. Alright, so for our final um, story this, uh, well, this afternoon, um, I want to quickly talk about something that's a little bit uh, exciting. Um, So, workers, excuse me, workers at Beast Breaker developer Vodeo Games have unionized, creating the first certified video game studio union in North America. Vodeo management voluntarily recognized the union, which includes both full-time employees and contracted workers. Um, Vodeo was founded this year by Three's creator, Asher Vollmer, with the studio's first game, Beast Breaker, released in September. 
The studio intends to release one video game a year. It describes its games as cozy, excuse me, cozy crunchy. Uh, quote, they are small, intimate games that you can curl up with and completely lose yourself in. At the same time, they are games full of complex, interlocking systems that can take years to fully master, end quote. Beast Breaker, for its part, is a ball-bouncing, turn-based strategy game that's been compared to Peggle. The company is entirely remote with its staff of roughly 13 employees and contract workers spread across both the United States and Canada. The union, called Vodeo Workers United, represents all eligible employees, more than half of whom are independent contractors. Quote, we were really inspired by what a lot of our colleagues were doing in the game industry and the tech industry and beyond. Voltage organized workers, United Paizo workers, there was a lot going on. Vodeo designer Carolyn John told Polygon, it felt it, excuse me, it felt like a natural next step for us to be talking about. Hey, maybe we should be unionizing and help set a positive precedent for the digital games industry as well. Um, with voluntary recognition from, excuse me, Vodeo Management, Vodeo Workers United will not have to force a National Labor Relations Board vote. The group will soon begin contract negotiations to ensure a fair, equitable workplace and to lock in benefits they already have in love, like a four-day work week. Vodeo Workers United is now the first officially recognized video game studio union in North America. Its staff follows in the footsteps of other game industry workers who have made history for workers' rights. This includes Voltage Organized Workers, the Love Struck Choose Your Romance developers who went on 21-day strike in 2020 and won without official union recognition, and United Paizo Workers and Cards Against Humanity Workers United, which made history as the first tabletop gaming unions. The video game industry has seen Increased momentum towards unionization with video game studios abroad like Paradox Interactive workers in Sweden and Nexon workers in South Korea forming workers groups. Collective bargaining and union efforts have also ramped up in North America over the past few years as studios begin to reckon with accusations of workplace misconduct and unfair conditions. Game director Chris Floyd said Vodeo workers were focused on creating fairer conditions at a studio where they love to work, but also to be an example to workers at other companies interested in unionizing. Quote, we're looking at the wider industry and all of us were aware of how necessary these kinds of steps are for our industry, Floyd told Polygon. Looking around, that's just really obvious. Um, Code C... Excuse me. Code CWA campaign lead Emma Kinema told Polygon that union organizing and workers' rights are not goals that, that are at odds with loving your work and wanting to make amazing video games or being proud of your studio. She pointed to Vodeo as an example of that. Excuse me, as an example of that. They're not organizing because there's some big scary boss like Bobby Kotick or someone, Kinema said. They're organizing because they care so much about the work they do and they want more of a say over how it's done. The conditions in which they work to actually make those games that they care about. Um, Miriam LaChapelle, a video producer, continued, We're here to say, hey, it can be done. It's often said that the digital game industry is special, that unions are good for other industries like film, that it wouldn't work for games, especially smaller indie games, but everyone deserves a union like three or ten or two hundred or thousands of people. Um, Vodeo Workers United partnered with the Communication Workers of America, specifically the Campaign to Organize Digital Employees, a group that supports organization efforts in the game and technology industries. Um, some Vodeo developers are also members of the Game Workers Unite group in Montreal, too. 
The CW, excuse me, the CWA as a whole represents more than 700,000 public and private workers across education, technology, and media. Code CWA is involved in unionization efforts across the game industry, including at Activision Blizzard, where some QA workers are still on strike following layoffs at subsidiary Raven Software. A group of Activision Blizzard workers called ABK Workers Alliance announced a union push in December. More than $300,000 has since been raised for striking workers. Workers are still asking Activision Blizzard to ensure its workplace is safe for workers following allegations and multiple lawsuits of a sexist workplace detrimental to women and minorities. Quote, we've been in a phase the past several years of groundwork building, laying the educational and narrative work around why folks should organize and why game workers are just like anyone else, Kinema from Cold CWA told Polygon. All workers deserve a union, she continued. We're starting to see a qualitative shift into a new phase of that where you see workers en masse, whether it's thousands of workers at Ubisoft or Activision Blizzard or again, the workers of Paizo and Vodeo organizing a union. We're seeing a shift where it's moving from talking about this thing, pushing for this thing, and actually seeing the thing come alive and weaving worker organization out of thin air. I'm happy for you guys. I'm glad. First union in North America. That's that's awesome. I hope you guys work really hard and get everything you deserve because workers deserve certain rights. So yeah, we need more unions, man. Enough enough of uh, threatening people and telling them, you know, you can work overtime or you can get fired. That kind of shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe we'll get more quality games too, like. You guys are stressing these people out, and then you, we get shit games at launch, and then you wonder why, you know, what's going on. I mean, well, maybe if they weren't stressed the hell out, we'd get nicer or more quality games. And that's the part is because a lot of these developers are so accessible now. You know, like, imagine, you know, you're doing your best, and the game isn't good, but you got a whole bunch of people harassing you. Exactly. Like, how am I supposed to write this? <laughs> how am I supposed to write a paragraph for this character or create something for this character but somebody's in my face all day like that doesn't make any sense yeah um yeah, yeah so since it's holiday season and this is our final little tidbit for the podcast um well, information tidbit, rather. So, uh, when shopping for gifts for the younger people in your life, you might ask what they're interested in. Video games will be a very popular response, no matter the age or gender. But so many video games come out every year that it's hard to know which games are actually good, not to mention appropriate, for younger ga- uh, players. Some younger gamers will make it easy on you and just ask for gift cards to games they already love, like Fortnite or Roblox. If you're left to fend for yourself, though, you might need some suggestions. So here are ten great games... Or, not 10, maybe like 5 or 6. Uh, they came out recently, uh, some for all ages, some, well, most of them for all ages. So, uh, first, uh, Big Brain Academy, Brain versus Brain. If you want to make sure the young gamer in your life is also exercising her brain, Big Brain Academy, Brain versus Brain is designed to keep them mentally fit. The game is actually a package of various mini-games that are designed to test and train your skills in things like pattern recognition, math, and memory. This newest entry in a long-running series is designed with multiplayer in mind, so everybody in the family can gather around the TV and pit their wits against each other. Got different age groups that want to play together? Not a problem. Every player picks his or her own difficulty at the start of a match, which helps to level the playing field. This is now available on the Nintendo Switch. 
Um, next, Forza Horizon 5. You may not be able to send your gift recipients on a road trip to Mexico, but you can let them race their way across a colorful and dynamic Mexican playground in Forza Horizon 5. Players can collect and drive a large collection of real-world excuse me, real-world cars as they participate in races, speed challenges, scavenger hunts, drifting challenges, and more. This is available now on Xbox One, Xbox Series X, Slash S, and PC. I, for one, can tell you that the game is really fun. I just recently became addicted to it. I'm telling you right now, going 200 miles per hour is extremely addictive. <laughs> so, next, uh, Kina, Bridge of Spirits. Ember Lab, the independent game studio behind Kena Bridge of Spirits, has never made a game before, but the company has spent years making animated shorts, and it shows. Kena is a gorgeous game, giving the vibes of a major animated movie from the minute you pick up the controller. You play as a young spirit guide, helping restless souls move on after death, which is not nearly as morbid as it may sound. The gameplay is reminiscent of Zelda, with a world and tone that evokes the works of Hayao Miyazaki in some of the best ways. Note that younger players may need to start the game, excuse me, may need to start with the game's easiest difficulty as some of the fights can get pretty challenging. Available now on PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5, and PC. Uh, next, Lucky's Tale. If your family has an Oculus Quest 2 virtual reality headset, or as Facebook's parent company has recently started calling it, a MetaQuest 2, you may be on the hunt for games that the whole family can enjoy. Lucky's Tale, a colorful, charming platformer, uh, developed in Dallas-Fort Worth, fits the bill. It's got the approachable simplicity of a Super Mario game combined with a lovable mascot and enjoyable levels, making it fun for all ages. It's available now on the Oculus Quest VR headset. Next, uh, Mario Party Superstars. Parties are fun. Board games are fun. Games are fun. So why not just mash all that stuff together? Mario Party Superstar, excuse me, Superstars is a sort of greatest hits compilation of more than 20 years of Mario Party games, featuring 100 classic minigames and an assortment of boards that first appeared on the Nintendo 64. In the main party mode, up to four players take turns rolling dice to move around the game board in an attempt to collect superstars. Between each round, though, players duke it out in a minigame that gives coins to the winners. There is, excuse me, there is also the option to just play mini-games, and you can even play online with friends or strangers, but this party is best enjoyed with your friends on the couch. It's available now on Nintendo Switch. See, I'm mad because I don't have a Switch, and that sounds like something that I will play because I love board games. Yeah, um, Mario Party Superstar, but uh, shout-outs to Nintendo for, you know, instead of just patching the one that we already bought, they made us buy the same game again. <laughs> Right? <laughs> um, next, Pokemon Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl. The beloved Pokemon series has been celebrating its 25th anniversary all year, so perhaps it's fitting that its latest video game is a look back at the past. Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl, two versions of the same game as is age-old Pokemon tradition at this point, are rel relatively faithful remakes of games that originally released in 2006 on the Nintendo DS. The games have been updated for 2021 with updated graphics and new features, though they stay so faithful to the originals that some may say they don't feel new enough. Still, there's fun to be had by both young kids and the parents who grew up with the series themselves. It's available now on Nintendo Switch. Funny enough, that was actually the last Pokemon game that I bought was Diamond, the original Diamond, back in 06. Like, yeah. all the ones after that I didn't play. I think I bought Moon um, for my 3DS, which I still have, but I still have not touched it. I also went on this thing where I said I was going to start um, playing Pokemon from, like, Pokemon Red on, 
I got to like the fourth gym in red and I haven't even touched it. So, you know, I have so much stuff to do, you have no idea. <laughs> yeah. All right, and finally, Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart. If your family is lucky enough to have a PlayStation 5 in the house, the explosive, cartoonish sci fi action of Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart is easily one of the best and most family friendly adventures on the system so far. Use a large, diverse collection of zany weapons to fight your way across the galaxy in an attempt to save it from a multi dimensional threat. Available now on PlayStation 5. So, those are all the deals. If you got any young kids in the house and they said they want a video game, you have no idea what to get them, you can just pick one of the suggestions I just mentioned. So, what about you, Tito? You planning on buying any games for the holiday? Yep. What game? Uh, I'm definitely going to get, because uh, I, I don't I don't have the new Mario Party yet. Mm -hmm. uh, I was going to get Metroid Dread. Oh, that's um, nice. And honestly, again, man, like if you got if you got kids and you don't have Game Pass yet, you just get that for them, man. Like <laughs> you you won't have to worry about you know stuff for a while. And plus, Game Pass is pretty convenient since it's got all the categories laid out for you already. Exactly. So, I mean, that's only if you have a computer or an Xbox specifically. If you have Sony. Yeah. Um, if you have a PlayStation or a Switch, that doesn't apply, but, um, I but believe... if you have a PlayStation, you could do, um, PlayStation Now. Right, and also, soon enough, PlayStation, Sony is supposed to be doing the same thing that Microsoft is doing with, um, Game Pass, so, you know, look out for that. Yeah, that's why they bought Gaikai, like, 12 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> um... Oh, okay, so while we were on commercial break, um, Tito had asked me to, um, well, we were talking about the Spider-Man movie that recently just came out. Don't worry, there won't be any spoilers, um, but he was asking me, um, what Spider-Man game, um, I played, or was it recently played, or? No, what's your favorite Spider-Man oh, video game? Oh, my favorite Spider-Man video game. Okay, so, I'm gonna be 100% honest, I have not played a lot of Spider-Man video games. I have watched a friend play Spider-Man 2, I think, on the PS2. Yeah. And I, me, myself, I personally played the uh, original Spider-Man that came out on the PS4, I think last year or the year before. Yeah. So, um, I mean, but again, I didn't play either one of those because, well, one, I wasn't I just wasn't into, like, I guess, superhero video games, which I know sounds crazy because um, I was obsessed with, um, what was that X-Men game? It was an X-Men game that was for the GameCube. Mm -hmm. oh, I can't think of yeah. it. Well, uh, yeah. anyway, I was obsessed with that game. It's not X-Men Legends. Yes, it was. Okay, so X-Men Legends, I was obsessed with that game, and, um... That was probably the only close to thing maybe to Marvel that I probably play video game wise. Um, but I like I said I did play the Spider Man game for the PS4 that came out in 2019 I think. That game was gorgeous. That game was amazing. I really enjoyed that. Also, what gave me more incentive to play that game was um, the fact that it was made by Insomniac Games because um, Insomniac Games is behind another game that I really love and I so hope they come out with another one um, of Sunset Overdrive. So, yeah. 
That's why I it has to be that one, that Spider-Man for the PS4. Uh, man, I have played basically any game that has Spider-Man in it from like Marvel Ultimate Alliance 1 and mm-hmm. 2 and 3 and Marvel vs. Capcom 1, 2, 3. Like, but honestly, mm-hmm. the, the best Spider-Man game that I've played, honestly, it's a cliche answer, but uh-huh. That PS that PS4 really is the best one, man. Okay, like yeah. it was just, really good. <laughs> like, and I'm really excited about you know Spider Man Two uh, whenever that comes out. Mm-hmm. But yeah, man, like I know, and and there's I'm glad for like this renaissance of superhero games now because you got like the Suicide Squad game coming out, mm-hmm. got, um, Gotham Knights coming out. Um, you got a Wonder Woman game coming out, so mm-hmm. if you're into superheroes and video games, it's a it's a good time. Yeah, it's great. Um, yeah, so uh, that's about it. I mean, that's all I have anyway. Um, is there anything else that you want to talk about? Or no, I think we good. Alright, well, um, that's it for this week's uh, episode of The Scroll. Um, I hope you guys... Well, first of all, I want to thank everyone who's uh, ever been listening. Um, I recently got some stats for um, the podcast, and everything just looks beautiful. Um, I don't know who played all those episodes back in November, but I really appreciate it. Um, oh, also, if you're listening to this on Spotify, um, if you go to the podcast main page on Spotify. You can rate this podcast. Um, you know, I also leave questions that, um, I may ask, um, related to the episode on Spotify. Um, but if you don't, it's fine because this podcast is available where all podcasts are available. So, all right, that's it. Um, I'll either see you guys next week, maybe two weeks. I don't know. Happy holidays. Happy new year. If I don't make another episode soon, um, shoot, happy Chinese New Year, if I don't make episode until then. <laughs> um, yeah, just season's greetings, and I hope everyone has a wonderful, wonderful New Year. Bye. Bye.